0: Thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come together to look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead as, as we study. And just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Psalm 123. We might make it through this one fairly quick. I'm not going to count on it. <laughs> Unto thee. Lift I up my eyes, O you that dwell in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of your servants look unto the hands of their master, and as the eyes of a maiden to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God, until that he hath mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. All right, very short psalm here again this is a psalm one of the psalms of the degrees and it starts out unto you lift up my eyes O you that dwell in the heavens look up to God really that's literally what it says look up to God and look to where he dwells and you know this is something that we need to do because how often do we spend all our time looking down at the world looking down at the flesh and not up to God. And, you know, that doesn't mean literally we walk around with our eyes up into the sky, but literally our eyes is to look at what God is doing in our life and not at all the misery of our life and the trials of our life because the more we look at the bad in our life, the more negative we will get. And this is something that I see over and over with people is there are certain people that every time you talk to them, it's nothing but misery and pain and, and trials and tribulations and, you know, never, never anything good going on in their life. And then there's other people you talk to and it's like all they ever want to talk about is all that God's doing for them and how blessed, blessed they are. And most of it is they're probably not any more blessed than that person who complains all the time. But it is who are they looking at? Are they looking to God? Are they looking at all the problems in their life? You know, there's one of the reasons one of my favorite hymns is count your blessings. You know, and the one line goes, count your many blessings and see what God has done, and then it says as you count your blessings you will be surprised at what God has done. And it's really true, and this isn't just positive thinking as opposed to negative thinking, but it really is where is my focus? Is my focus on what God is doing for me Or is my focus on this world and all the pain and tribulation and trials of this world? Job is a great example. He went through hell, and when his eyes were focused upon his problems, he was going, woe is me, you know, curse the day I was born. You know, why is God doing this all to me? But when he started focusing on where God was, he's saying, okay, I'm going to shut my mouth. I'm not going to... Uh, you know, I'm not going to complain anymore because, God, you are God, and you've allowed this to happen. And then God turned around and blessed him in return. And one thing, you know, you look at it, I've seen people who are totally do it, talk nothing about how depressed they are, and you're looking at them and thinking, boy, you've got so much to be thankful for, but they won't look at it. Now, you've got people who are being thankful, and there's nothing, you know, you look at their life and you're going, what the heck are you so thankful for? You know. Why their eyes are on God and they're going, He's the one that's got me. And Paul's atten- Paul's statement was, you know, I've learned to be content with much or with little. And be- why? Because his eyes were focused on God and said, I'm content with God, whether God gives me a lot or nothing. He just can't see it. Ask God to show it to you. And all of it is looking to God and knowing that He's in control. And this is what I share with everybody. You know, I know that all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. And I know that he's in control. So whatever goes on in my life, he's allowed. And that helps you in a whole lot of ways. Now, and that includes he's in control even if I've done something to cause the problems. Because he could have stopped it if he'd he'd really wanted to keep it out of my life. And he's going to use it for good and make it, make me grow from it. And the more I realize that, the easier life becomes in the long run. Because I'm not all worried about oh no, you know how bad is this life? Because I know God is in control. My eyes are on God. Our eyes need to be on God. And we need to be focused on Him and say, okay God, what is it you're trying to teach me in whatever you're, you're teaching me? And everything that goes on in our life is a teaching moment from God or can be if we will allow him to teach us from it. And, you know, we want to be careful because everything can be changed because God is strong enough to change it. And we will look at our problems and say, my problems are overwhelming and I can't get over anything that's come in my way because this, that, and the other thing, and it's piled up upon me. And yet God says, it's not a problem to me. No matter what we're going through, it's not a problem to God. And I've met people who go, well, I don't want to bother God with my little problems. Okay, well, what problem that you are going to have is going to be a big problem to the creator of the universe? You know, what problem in your life is going to be so big that God can't deal with it when he created everything? You know, if you're waiting for a problem that's going to, that God would consider a problem, you're going to have to be dead. <laughs> You know, and that's not even a problem to him. <laughs> uh, you know, he, wants to, he wants to help us with anything that's going on in our life because he loves us that much. I will look to God. I will turn my eyes to him. This next part is kind of an interesting one, and you may not understand this one. Behold, the eyes of the servant look to the hand of their masters, and as the eye of the maiden to the hand of their mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until he have mercy on us. This is a reference to servants in the palace or even a rich person's home. The the palace and the rich uh, do not yell around at their servants telling them what to do. They give little hand motions that are barely perceptible to somebody who doesn't know what's going on. And the servants are to watch them. When they, when they do a certain, certain motion with their hands, the servant knows that they're there they're to be there and supply the drinks or the, or the food or the, or the dinner or whatever it is. And you, and you think about this. If you've watched any shows about the rich and the famous, you know, there's, there's no, you know, I mean, once in a while you see a bell. And that may or may not be a real one, but usually the servants are there when they're needed. And the servants are watching. And this is what God's in here in this in, or for this song we're to watch God how many of us want God to yell in our ear do this, do that uh, uh, you know and we kind of wish that he would and it would be nice in some ways if he did you know this is your this is your, your turn go take the right, take the left, go straight you know don't go anymore that's not usually the way he's going to talk to us and he speaks in a still, small voice, and we need to get to know him. We get to know him through his word. We get to hear his voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And this comes from the whole Middle Eastern area where they would draw the sheep, the, the flocks together, and it was time to break up. All the shepherd did was lead out, and he'd call his sheep. And their sheep will follow them. And it's pretty amazing because you've seen—I've seen the videos of it. These guys will walk out, call their sheep, and the sheep walk out. It's never anybody else's sheep. They're—they're they're always they count them, and they're—it's their sheep. The sheep know the voice of the master, and so often we, as Christians, don't know the voice of our shepherd. Why? Because we're not tuning our ears to hear him. And you know, one of the the, the thing that I think of so often is. You know, Lynn used to do this and I've seen other women do this. We would be in church and a baby would be crying in the nursery and she'd know whether it was one of ours. To me, they all sounded like babies. Yeah. But to the mother, it was like they knew the, the cry of their child, even though it was muffled through all the doors of the nursery and everything, uh, they knew the voice of their child. We don't spend enough time a lot of times with Jesus to know his voice. And this is something we need to do. And here it's saying we're to watch God looking for those little symbols, those little signs saying, do this, do that. Having the track in your purse to pass out to to these guys that you had talked to. Being able to know that this is the person I'm supposed to speak to. Being in the right place and being willing to hear God when it's some when it's somebody that says go talk to this person go help this person, you know been there done that several times and at various times where it says okay God, you know I need to go out I don't really want to go outside go outside and there's somebody there that needed needed something, uh, you know but listening to His voice, listening to His voice when I'm at the prison and there's somebody that needs to be talked to and being ready to respond. Looking for the little things that tell you what to do. How do we do that? We spend time in his word. We spend time learning. We spend time listening. Will that mean we'll always get it right? Not at first. And probably not even in the future. But what do I keep saying about the spiritual walk? It is something that we learn to do better and better as we go along we we make mistakes when we're starting but you know and the picture is the child when the f- child first starts learning to st- to 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 get get mobile you know they get up on their knees they fall down they get up on their knees they fall down they get up on their knees they fall down they get up on their knees and they crawl all over the place next thing you know they're standing and they fall down they stand and they fall down then they start taking a step or two and fall down <laughs> But they keep going, they keep getting up, and eventually they start getting more movement than you really want them to do because they're running around getting into everything. But you know, that's the same thing that it should be for us as Christians. We start getting up, we fall down. We start getting up, we fall down. We start running around, we get into trouble because we get into things we're not supposed to get into. And we start learning to behave the way God wants us to do as 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 we mature in our Christian walk. And we become more of a teenager learning to make better decisions, still making stupid decisions once in a while, but making better decisions. Then we become a mature Christian who generally will do the right thing and still make some mistakes, but we do less mistakes than we did as a child and as a teenage, you know. And that doesn't necessarily fit, you know, what I'm saying you're gonna be 13 years old in Christ before you start, you know. Some people mature very quickly in in Christ. Some people mature extremely slow because they're not looking to God for their answers. They're trying to do it on their own. And here we say, and God is saying, I want you looking at me. Look for those simple little hand motions, those simple little instructions. And this is where when we get into the Word, sometimes you'll find something in the Word that just all of a sudden hits us between the eyes. And, and I've shared with you, I like to have fun with God when I find those things. I've read the Bible through so many times. And I'll, I'll go, God, when did you put this verse in here? It's never been here before. <laughs> okay. Now I know darn well the verse has always been there. <laughs> It just never stood out, you know, before because it wasn't the time for it to stand out. I wasn't ready to, for that particular verse to stand out. But once you mature to a certain point, God will say, okay, here's a, this verse. Pay attention to this verse. And you may find something in that verse that nobody else has found in that verse. You know, it's just what you need for that moment of, that, of your life and says, do this, or don't do this, or encouragement, or whatever it might be. And here he's saying, look to him for the little things. You know, too many times we will sit with God and say, God, I'm gonna do things my way. We said that this morning in the service, you know, a lot of times we'll go off and going, okay, God, this is my plan for the day, and God's going, well, I have a plan for you too. It doesn't include all the stuff that your plan is. And we get so busy doing our plan, we ignore even looking to god for what does he want us to do. And we need to learn to include god in our day. And I've been learning that over the years. I've shared with you all I'm an I'm an organizer, I'm a planner. I used to there was a time in my life where I could have told you what I was doing next year just because my schedule was that set. You now, I knew what I was going to do each day, every day of the week and when and the time I was going to do it. And so I could tell you what I was going to do the next year, probably two years if God didn't change my plan, you know, because that's how planned my life was. It was regimented. And God is trying to make me more adaptable. And it's very important to have that adaptability. It's not a bad idea just to make the plans, but to be flexible. You're going to need to make plans. You need Some people, like myself, I will still make plans, but I have to be willing to slip the plan to go where God wants and say, I'm going to listen to God. Uh, and I don't regiment my life the way I used to. Now, I could tell you pretty much what my general schedule is, but if God says, do something else, I'm now willing to <laughs> jump into that schedule. Yeah. But we have to be careful with agendas because once we have our agenda, we stop necessarily looking to God a lot of times. Well, because I know what I'm planning to do. And the example, like I said this morning, you know, Jesus is with Jairus going to heal Jairus' his daughter and he stops in the middle of this. Jairus' agenda is to get to his daughter. And he stops in the middle of that agenda and starts ministering to somebody. And I can just picture how upset Jairus is getting. My, my daughter's dying and you're helping this person who is sick but not dying. What's, yeah. you know, yeah. what, what's going on? That's a normal course of things. I mean, anybody would It's very normal. But remember, we live a spiritual life. We don't live a normal fleshly life. Okay? And we need to be careful. We oftentimes will get wrapped up in the normal life of the flesh and the world and ignore the life we're supposed to be living. And this is critical for us to understand. We're supposed to be living a life in the spiritual realm, and we get wrapped up in the physical. It shouldn't be so. It should be that we're spending time in the spiritual world because we are spiritual beings as Christians. But we're also fleshly beings and the flesh wants to sin and wants to have control and keep us from God. And it's very easy to get wrapped up in the flesh and the everyday mundane things because there are certain things that are very important. It's pretty important to, to feed our bodies and, to, and do all these things. And God understands those things. But how many things do we do that really have no great importance, but it's what the world wants? And this is why in Romans twelve two it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Satan wants us conformed to this world. He wants us to be focused on this world. And God is saying, I want you focused on the spiritual realm, working with the things of him. And that might mean stopping in the middle of your plans and doing something God wants. Yeah. And it's, it's sometimes hard to do. It, it is often hard to do what God wants as opposed to what you have already planned. Uh, the movie about Lee Strobel, and it talks about when, when they first meet, have contact with a, a Christian woman. And she says, well, it's pretty amazing we're here because my husband and I were going to a different restaurant and God put us here you know, and Lee Strobel being an atheist at the time is like, well, what kind of nut is this saying that God told her to be here? Okay, but yet... Yeah, yeah. But yet, this is what ends up happening so often for, for us. We get wrapped up in what we plan to do, and God says, well, speaks softly, says, goes through something else, and we're like, <laughs> no, God, I, I got my plan. I got, I've got to be over at this place. And we want to be very careful about that and watching him. And as in verse 3 says, Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Yeah, this is an interesting statement. God have mercy, and mercy is not getting what you deserve. And it says, have mercy on us because we are exceedingly or greatly filled to the top with contempt. It says that he's satiated with contempt. I believe that he's talking about the contempt that the flesh has. Sure. I don't think that he's enduring it. I don't think that's a good translation at all. It literally is that he's satiated, filled, satisfied with the contempt. And this is filled up. He's, and satiated means when you... The word satiated literally means when you've eaten enough food to be filled, but you're not stuffed, okay? I've had enough that I am satisfied, I'm satiated, I'm, I've had enough food, I'm not stuffed, I'm not gorged, and I'm not hungry. We are exceedingly, and that word literally in, in the Hebrew is satiated with contempt. And it doesn't have anything to do with what they're trying to say that I've endured. I've, I've endured this because why would you ask for mercy for enduring something? No. Okay, that is you know you might say, "God, I've had enough of it. Can you take it away?" But that's really not something you're going to ask for mercy for. God, don't give me what I deserve because I've endured contempt. That makes no sense. I have contempt in my flesh for the God for God's stuff for God what God deserves. Contempt is to not look at something with uh, uh, with pleasure and to, be, to just look at it as if it's worthless. But for the most part, when you are contemptible of something, it is that you are just, it's something you're not paying any attention to. It's not, worth, it's not worthy of your attention. Ew. And you know, for many people, when we live in our flesh, we're treating God with contempt. You are just not worthy of our attention, God. Okay. And we do it a lot. We will do it a lot in our when we're living in the flesh, because God's trying to teach us something. And that contempt is uh, let's take it with some of the kids when they don't like, you know, when they when they're shunning another kid because they're just not worth my paying attention to you. You know, I'm going to pay attention to this one, but you're just you're beneath me. Yeah. You're not, you know, I have contempt for you but you know we're fleshly beings and sometimes we get in that place where God is just not worthy of our attention. You know, should he should he be worthy of our attention? Absolutely. But you know, we've all done it. We've all put God in a place where God, you're just beneath, you know, you're just I'm not paying attention to you, you're not I'm just not worth, you know, you're just not worth paying attention to right now because well, number 1, we know that he wants us to do something we don't want to do usually. So we kind of push him off to the side and say, uh, you know God, you just kind of stay over there We're, uh, and you know too many people have a God like that. You know, many people who are Christians don't want to make him Lord of their life. they kind of put him back in the back room someplace and say, "God, you just stay back in the back room and if I need you, I'll call you out and, and, and ask you for the stuff I need and then when I'm done with that I'll, I'll kick you back out and, and live life the way I want. Now, again, when I say these things, I'm not saying we literally say this, but that is what we do in our actions. That's a genie. Basically, a genie in the lamp. You know, God, yeah. you just kind of stay over there in that back room and, and I'm going to sit on the throne and if I need you, I'll, I'll call you over here and, and I might even step off the throne for a moment or two while you, while you answer my need, and then, but then you're going to go back to the back room and I'm going to take over the throne of my life again. And we do that oftentimes with God. And we don't want you know, it's not the way it should be. It's not the way we would even admit to doing. You know, but our lifestyle says that's what we're doing. You know, we're living in contempt and when he says we're we're in contempt or David's asking, you know, or whoever the writer of this is, have mercy on me when I'm when I'm doing that. You know. Don't give me what I deserve. I deserve to be I deserve to be sent to hell when I do that because I'm ignoring you. Or or even Live in a hell-like condition when I do that. Please don't give me what I deserve. So uh, contempt of court could be a metaphor. Of well, contempt of court is sure. that you're you're putting you're you're saying the court is not worthy of your of whatever it is they're asking you to do. Contempt of court is that same type of deal. In Nathan's case, I don't think it was contempt. It was definitely love and, and care for David that he was oh, okay. that he was going to him. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that wasn't a contempt for David. He loved David enough that he was, God gave a message to him. You know, you're beneath me. You're not worthy of my attention. This is what the writer of this one is saying. The people are, you know, he's saying, have mercy on me because I have lived in a way that says that God, your contempt, that I have contempt for you. And strong word. It really is a strong word. Uh, and, and this is a case where I definitely would not agree with the NIV's translation of I have endured con, uh, contempt. Because why would you ask for mercy for enduring? You'd be asking God, you know, deliver me from it, maybe, but to have mercy for, because I'm enduring it? It just doesn't fit the, <laughs> fit the context. And the fourth verse, our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. And here is more, and this is maybe why they went with that one of enduring, but, my soul is exceedingly filled, and again, this is satiated, with the scorning of them that are at ease. And that is mocking, they're mocking him. The the people at ease are mocking. And with the contempt of the proud, or that you're beneath, and this one is an enduring that he's in, this one would fit into that enduring thing. He's enduring the attacks of those that think they're above him, okay? And this is not God, but this is this, the writer here saying, you know, I have, you know, getting tired of these people. And it's easy to get tired of people who think that they're better than you are. You know, it's very easy to give, they hold you in contempt. You're beneath their, you know, beneath them. They look at you as if uh, you smell so bad that they can't have anything to do with you. You're not worth anything. They they mock, Uh, and this is not the way life is supposed to be. And yet he's saying, God, I've done this to you, but give me. You know, but it's also happening to me. And you know, we want to be very careful about how we deal with people. We're to keep our eyes on God. We're to deal with people the way He deals with people. And this is why it's so important that we as Christians, because God loves us, we are to love others. Because he forgives us, we are to forgive others. Because he is merciful to us, we are to be merciful to others. Because he gives grace to us, we should be giving grace to others. And, you know, sometimes when you say that, well, people go, well, they don't deserve it, but neither do we. We don't deserve what God has given to us. So we need to treat others in exactly the same way God's treating us. He gives us grace and mercy and love and and forgiveness. We need to be giving those same things back out to people. Did your verse 4 start out with a third person? Our soul. We And mine says we. I notice that he's gone from the first person. there. Yeah, this one definitely changes to... We don't know who the writer is, but the yeah. we is probably... It could be it could be Israel, it could be all follow followers of God, yeah. so because this is because he's moving from the idea of the servant watching it watching the master's hands to we as servants are being looked down at contemptible contemptible, and this happens to us all the time as Christians, you know oh, you're following that God how could why would you follow God you know, and it's kind of an interesting place to be, you know. We are servants of God if we're a Christian. If we're one of his children, we're his servant. And he's our Lord and Master, and we are to do what he asks us to do. And that is basically to give the gospel and to show people what God is like. Now, the sad thing is there are a lot of Christians out there that don't show people what God is like. You know, they show a God who's hateful and vengeful and, and, you know, the sad thing about that is when people see that, it's repulsive, and it really is repulsive because that's not who God is. And I've described it, you know, there's a lot of people who you know have this idea that God's playing whack-a-mole. If we stick our head up, he's standing there ready to whack us. And that's not God. He wants, he's looking forward to, well, come on up here, get up in my lap and and pay attention to, you know, let me pay attention to you because I love you. And yet so many people have this idea that God's ready to throw a lightning bolt over and beat him over the head if they just dare to even pop their head up and look at him. And they've got this picture of a God that almost hates them. And Christians bring that attitude out to a lot of people. And it's a very sad thing to do because God is not that way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, he's. He loved the world that hated him and gave his son. And sometimes we as Christians misrepresent God in so many ways. uh, Well gee how could you do that? God's not gonna like that. Well he probably doesn't like that but he still loves the person. But we say it with such bitterness and hatred to them that they're going oh wow this God is somebody I don't want to, you know, do I want to know this God? And, you know, and I've met many Christians that are just fearful of God. At least they say they're Christians, but they fear God with every aspect of their body. And we're told to fear God, but not in a terrifying, you know, I'm, I'm afraid that if I, you know, look at God, he's going to, you know, cast me, or, you know, send me into the next uh, block with, uh, with trouble, you know. But we are to respect him. We are to honor him we are, and love him because he loves us. And it's very important that we look at this and how do we present God to others. Very critical for us. So often we'll attack somebody and put them down, and that's not God's way. God wants us to, yes, express to people that they're a sinner. We're all sinners. And the more we remember that we are a sinner, even if you've been walking with God for 120 years, you're still a sinner. Okay, you're still a sinner. Even if you've worked most of the sin out of your life, there's still sin in your life. And the more we recognize that we're sinners, the more we can be kind to those who are in need. Jesus was always in the presence of the sinners being kind to them. That did not mean he let them say their sin was okay. The woman at the well that he was ministering to, he goes, she goes, uh, he says, go get your husband. She says, I don't have one. He goes, you're absolutely right. You have five, and the one you're living with is not your husband. You know, he wasn't saying she was okay, but he also wasn't condemning her and saying, well, you deserve hell, and you're going on your way to hell. Okay, he brought out the message. He said, what you're doing is wrong. You're, you are right. It is wrong, and you, you recognize that it's wrong. And he asks for repentance from your sin. But God loves with all of his heart and we need to be able to love people. And again, that doesn't mean we say, well, your sins. Okay, just keep sinning. You now, that is not what we're looking at doing. We're going to go, no, your sin is wrong. And God doesn't like that sin, but he still loves you. And love changes people. God's grace changes people. If you try to pile law onto people, the flesh does not like law. The flesh rebels against the law. And I've shared this many times. I'm just like everybody else. You tell me I can't do something, and you better have a darn good reason why I can't do something, or I'm going to say, why not? And the idea that I use is a homeowner's association saying you can't paint your house pink. Well, there's no way I would want a pink house. But as soon as they told me I couldn't paint my house pink, every part of my being is going to go watch me. I could paint my house pink if I want to. You know, not that I want one, not that I want one, but you know, every, right. I and mean, I might not actually do it, but everything in me would yeah. be, I want to, I want to do it, I want to do it just because you told me I can't. Right. That is what law does to us, mm-hmm. but God's mercy and his grace says, okay, I love you in spite of what you're doing. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve, and all of a sudden, our heart is melted and it's like, God, okay, I want to do what you want me to do. Not because I'm trying to earn my way into heaven, not because I'm trying to earn my way into his pleasure, but because he has just loved me so much that he says, I'm gonna gonna love you no matter what. And then that love generates back from us a love that wants to do what he wants to do, wants us to do. No, it's just, it's, it's a natural thing if there's something you can't do and you want to do it. And that's what they concentrated on. You know, do we, and for me, I don't, I'm not trying to concentrate on what God says I can't do. I want to concentrate on his love and his mercy. Now, there's lots of things I can't do. Over the, over the 45 years I've been walking with God, there's lots of things that he's taught me I can't do. But I don't concentrate on all the, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this. I'm just living for God, and in the back of my mind is, okay, don't do this and don't do that. But I'm not so focused on it that says that it overwhelms my life. And that's where we want to be. You know, we're not focused on his rules and his laws. You know, I'm not always sitting down looking at the Ten Commandments. Okay, we, you know, i got to do this, i got to do this, i got to do this one, i got to, you know. Don't don't have any other gods before me. Don't take God's name in vain. Don't you know? Don't commit adultery. Don't 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 uh, covet. Don't don't desire things that I don't you know, you know. I'm not sitting there running these things through my mind all the time, and yet it, generally, I keep the Ten Commandments. Why? Because I'm trying to live for God. Not that I'm having His law stuck in my mind, saying, "Okay, can't do this, can't do this." Having my checklist. Of, where where does this fit on my checklist? If that's where you're at all the time, you're not where you're supposed to be with God. You're saying, God, I just want to serve you. I want to just pay attention to you, God, and you're going to, if I'm paying attention to God, he's going to keep me away from everything else. And I've shared this, you know, you go through the middle of a hardship and your eyes are on God. You can go through the middle of the hardest storm in your life and not even notice that you're in a storm until you kind of look back and go on, what was that? Wow, that's quite a, quite a bit of mess back there. You now Peter stepped out of the boat and he didn't have any problem until he looked at the waves. Walked on water, looked at the waves, realized I can't do this. There's a big storm going on and started sinking. We do this frequently. We're walking above the troubles, above the trials because our eyes are focused on Jesus. And then we start looking at the trials. And then we sink into the trials. And we need to be very careful about all of these things that are going on in our life. And trying to focus on God keep our focus on him look at what he is asking us to do listen to the still small voice that says talk to this person do this go here go there you know and the provision you know, God is wanting to provide for us what we need if we will just allow it but how many times do we worry about it God, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? How how is this going to happen? How is that going to happen? But our goal for it is to pay attention to God and look at what is it that you want me to do? And the more our focus is on Him, the more we're going to do what it is that He wants us to do without even really thinking about it. And I've noticed this, you know, on a day that I will be falling behind and I don't read my Bible, don't start my day in prayer, and my focus isn't on God, those are usually miserable days. You know, why? Because my focus isn't right. When I start focusing my day on God, it is wonderful. I love going into the prison and smiling at everybody, saying hi, and you know, you know, letting go, how are you doing? I am doing fantastic. It's a wonderful day to be alive. God is in control. And that's usually my answer. I'm having a fantastic day, and you know, that God is in control. And they look at me like I'm a nut. And that's fine. Some of them just know the answer now, so they don't even ask. (laughs) Some of them probably ask just to see if I'm going to give them the same answer every day. But when our focus is on God, every day should be a fantastic day. Every day should be a good activity with God. Because he is in charge. And I love having God in charge. I really do. Being able to speak well of people, being able to say that God is good, you know, that He is in control, that He is He is good and He is doing what it is that He wants to do is a wonderful place to be. And knowing that He's in control and being able to serve Him is such a wonderful thing. And just looking at what He's doing, because you know, even when things are going bad, I know that God is in control. Before I got the job at the prison, you know, there were times and I've shared with you. You know, we made very little, little money, and there were times when I would say, okay, God, I paid all the bills I can have. Here's, here's your bills to pay. <laughs> yeah. I, I could have spent the rest of my month stressing out on how are these bills going to be paid. But the one thing I learned is God always managed to bring something up. And I've said oh, oftentimes I worked very hard to pay those bills. He would provide all kinds of job opportunities for me to pay those bills. I'd get a call from somebody, I need this done, this kind of work done on my computer, or I need this done, or I need this done, and go and help them and, and get a little extra money. You know, I had to work very hard, physically work, you know, and mentally work to get the, get the money, but God provided the opportunities. I didn't sit there and, and fret about, okay, God, where's where this gonna happen? How am I gonna make this happen? How am I gonna get this paid? It's like, God, here's your bills, because I had an agreement with God. The day he didn't pay my bill, the month he didn't pay my bills, I'd go get a job in a restaurant or something and no longer be a pastor. And I knew I was supposed to be a pastor. So I knew that God would make sure that those bills got paid. And he always did. Where's our focus? Are we looking to be dependent on God? Or are we looking at trying to do it ourselves? And if we're looking at doing it ourselves, we're in trouble. (laughs) Always. We're going to close in prayer. And then we'll, if there's some questions or anything, we'll let... We'll entertain some questions. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. And help us always to be focused on you and all that we do and all that we think and, and say. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.